It's 12.09. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We do not go gently into the good weekend on the Wagner Show. A lot of stuff on today's program. President Trump is going to be addressing the NRA. Um, they estimate the speech might start around 12.45. Sometimes those are sort of flexible. We're going to, I'm not going to say we're going to carry the entire presentation, but we're going to carry a portion of it, um, see what the president talks about, whether or not there's going to be a discussion of some of the other things that have been in the news. So that's going to come up 12.45-ish. We will be monitoring that. Let's start today's show like we start every show. Three big things. If the mainstream media doesn't want to be accused of peddling fake news. I have a simple message to it, to the reporters in the mainstream media, and that would be, then don't get stories wrong. Now, I did not mention this on the program yesterday because I I really wanted to see developments come out. But yesterday, late morning, NBC News ran with a really kind of breathtaking story um they they were reporting that the u.s department of justice either the special prosecutor or the u.s attorney's office had placed a wiretap on the office of former presidential attorney michael cohen a wiretap And the reason that is so explosive, let me give you a little bit of background on this from somebody who used to actually do wiretaps back in another life. In order to get a wiretap, to actually do electronic eavesdropping, that is perhaps the most intrusive thing that the government can do with regard to an individual citizen. It is not done lightly. To get a wiretap, What you have to do is, first of all, let's say you're a U.S. attorney or assistant U.S. attorney in some district, and you are conducting an investigation. You can't just, on your own, go to a judge and ask for permission to eavesdrop on somebody electronically, to listen into their phone calls. What you have to do is you have to put forth a, a, it is a lengthy, it is a lengthy document showing that, number one, you have probable cause to believe that the person that you are going to be subject to it's going to be subject to the electronic eavesdropping has committed a crime then you also have to show that the only way you can get evidence of that crime is through using the electronic surveillance so so for example you've got probable cause to believe that a handful of people are are drug dealers and but the thing is, you know, you've got some people who say, yeah, we're, we're buying we bought drugs from them, but you, you don't have any way of infiltrating the organization. So you don't know who's who in the thing. You, you want to find out the details. So you've got probable cause to believe they're committing a crime. There's a conspiracy to sell drugs, but you don't know what who's who. The only way you can do that is by listening into the conversations they have on the telephone. So you have to make that showing. So then you, you put all this together big packet of stuff you send it off to a special unit in washington dc where they do nothing but review wiretaps only if they approve it there do they send it back to the local u.s attorney's office or whatever then you can go before the judge 
and the judge reviews it independently to determine whether or not the government has met its burden of proof. And then after all these steps, if the government decides, if the judge says, yeah, you've made a showing, there's probable cause to believe the person you're going to be wiretapping has committed a crime and, you know, you can't get any other way, then you get your wiretap and then there's all sorts of rules for how you, you run it. It is a very, very big deal. All right. So when I saw this report on NBC News and then later claimed ABC News came out, said, yeah, we, we've got our own independent corroboration. This, in fact, happened. I, I admit that I'm watching this and I'm thinking, holy, you know what? I mean, this is I mean, this is a big deal because in order to get that wiretap, they have in all likelihood made a showing, number one, that Michael Cohn probable cause to a judge to believe that he had committed a crime. And now they're investigating that and, and other people. It is a really big deal. It legitimately is a stop the presses type of story. It is incredibly explosive. All right. So th- this paralyzes people, especially in D.C. for a while, this revelation or this claim by NBC News and then later by ABC News that these were wiretaps. All right. Well, never mind. It, it turns out four or five hours later, NBC News and then ABC has to retract the claim that this was a wiretap. It wasn't a wiretap. What it was was something called a pen register. And again, in another life, I probably, I probably got over certainly over a thousand. Well, I don't over certainly over five hundred, maybe more than that. Pen registers. What is a pen register? A pen register is, some, is simply it's a notice that you send to the phone company that says, we want to know the numbers that are called from a particular phone. So if I was conducting an investigation into Gru and I wanted to find out who he was calling, I, I send the notice to the phone company saying, "Track, give me a tracking. And then what you do is you get a list of the numbers that they were called. All right. It's not, it's not, again, the conversations. A pen register is a pretty routine investigative technique that is used. It does not require a showing of probable cause. It doesn't require a judicial finding of probable cause. All, all that you do is you as the attorney simply fill out this form saying, you believe that this might be relevant to an invest, this information might be relevant to an inf- investigation you are conducting. You send it to the judge. The judge doesn't even, you know, review it to determine why you think it's relevant. That the judge, in the case of issuing pen registers, and I ended up going up to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals on this issue, is really simply, really kind of like it's all, it's all, it's automatic. As long as you, as the attorney, have made the representation, hey, this is going to be relevant to something I'm looking at. Don't have to say what it is. Judge has to sign off on it. A pen read. Now, look, I I understand being under investigation by federal authorities it is not something that anybody wants to, but wiretapping is like dropping the nuclear bomb. A pen register is kind of like, oh, I don't know, shooting spitballs over the fence. It is completely and totally different. And NBC and ABC got it wrong. For hours, they were suggesting that the former attorney for the President of the United States was subject of a wiretap, which is, again, a big deal. And that was not the case. All right. 
414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand there is this anti-Trump hysteria that is out there. And I understand that you have mainstream media outlets that are in a rush to try to report whatever the most damaging information can be. They all want to win the Pulitzer Prize, break the story that brings down this president they do not like. At the same time, if people wonder why, or people in the media wonder why journalistic credibility is at all-time lows, it's a story like this, which contains explosive allegations and is just flat-out wrong. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Obviously, I I think this comes from, number one, a a hatred of President Trump, and number two, a desire to, you know, break the story, be the big deal. And so accuracy kind of goes out the window. But, you know, given this latest example of what was clearly fake news, my question becomes, can you trust these so-called exposés that you hear from the mainstream media? Or is it, in fact, so, so biased and so, so incompetent that you really, you have a right, do you have to be skeptical of anything you hear? 414-799-1620, do you trust the stuff that you hear from the mainstream media? Because I tell you, if you heard this report yesterday and you recognized the significance, it was a big deal Four hours later, NBC is saying, well, never mind. 414-799-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, my comment is if the media doesn't want to have be accused of peddling fake news, well, then get it right. And they blew it big time yesterday. Do you trust what you hear? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 1218. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's two, twelve twenty-one. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, yesterday NBC News has this explosive story. The feds had been wiretapping the attorney for the president. If that were true, it would be a big deal because it had meant that they had evidence, probable cause to believe he had committed a crime. This would be the attorney for the president, and that um, again, if this were true, it would be a big deal. It wasn't true. Instead of having a wiretap, apparently what they did is they filled out an application, got what is called a pen register, which is a routine investigative technique. Now, again, you don't want to be investigated by the feds anyways, but a wiretap is like dropping a nuclear bomb. A pen register is like chucking a snowball. Big difference. NBC and then later ABC, who claim they had corroborated sources, they were wrong. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Hi, Dave. I, actually, I think they're per- perfectly aware of what they're doing. I don't think it's journalistic malpractice. I think it's bottom line is they get it out there knowing that it's like everything else. Once they get it out there, you some everybody can't unhear it. Right. And then they can come back and, and they can do their, you know, their retraction, whatever. But, you right. know, the, the seed's already been sown. And so it's kind of like. I think yeah, you can't I, ring. I, I, I don't use the cliche, but you can't unring the bell. Ring the bell, right? Exactly. So I mean, I think I think it's per, I, I I think it's premeditated. Per, you know, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I think it's been going on for a long, long time. I mean, well, I, I think I mean, no, I think there's an element to this, Dave. I mean, I, I want I gotta believe. Let's say let, let's just go back a couple years. If there was, if somebody ran into you know, some newsroom and said, "I have." 
two unnamed sources who say that the lawyer for President Obama has been the subject of a wiretap. Instead of running with that story, I firmly believe that those editors would be saying, okay, we've got to get this. We've got to make sure that we have this right four ways from Sunday. Instead of, it's Donald Trump, we can slander this guy. Here, let's run with this story. And then you find out, oh, well, it, it turns out we were really, really wrong. Oh, no problem. It's Trump. Who's going to care? Yeah, exa- well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's obviously the, you know, the, you can definitely tell the, you know, the leanings, you know, from that standpoint. And, right. you know, using, using the whole, you know, Obama analogy and things like that, I mean, heaven forbid, I mean, it goes on and on and on and on as far as all of his, you know, people well, surrounding him, what claims that he made and whatnot. And yeah, you're right. They wouldn't, they wouldn't even no, think about it. They would cross every, every key and dot every I and, and right. But before you do this, and this, I mean, thanks to call, and this, see, and this happens over and over and over and over again. And, and that's why it becomes frustrating. Look, I understand that, you know, when, I, I understand that when, when Donald Trump comes out and, and, and does the fake news things, the reporters don't like it. I understand when the people that show up at the rallies yell things at the reporters, they don't like it. They collectively get their backs up and that makes them even more determined to try to bring down President Trump or, you know, expose the problems. And look, and I, I've said this before, I understand, I think Donald Trump is his own worst enemy with regard to a lot of stuff. But I go back to where we started this conversation. If the mainstream media wants to get its collective undies in a bundle about the whole idea of we don't like to be accused of peddling fake news, fine. Then get the stories right. And if you are going to break, and I say this in quotation marks, explosive stories. And anybody, again, who understands the criminal justice system, uh, a story suggesting that the attorney for the President of the United States was subject to a court-authorized wiretap, that is, in fact, an explosive story. I mean, that's the type of thing where you say, oh, they've really got something, and charges are going to be imminent or something like that. If, if If that's the case... Well, then what you have to do is, is, is you run with it. But you've got to make sure that, that you've got it right. And they got it wrong. And this is another one of these examples where they've gotten it wrong. And again, I appreciate that Trump is his own worst enemy. And I, I understand why you know people, especially in the media, get frustrated and they think they've got red meat because they have President Trump, for example, you know, denying that he knew anything about a payoff to that you know, pornographic film actress. Then you've got Rudy Giuliani, you know, doing an interview with Sean Hannity saying, yeah, well, Trump knew about it. Now you've got statements today where the president is saying, well, Rudy's a really good guy, but he didn't have all his facts right. I, I, who knows? Who knows exactly what happened with this? I don't know if anybody really cares about what happened to that. I don't think there's a crime regardless. It's just kind of an embarrassing thing. And I understand that this brings on with these inconsistencies or lies or falsehoods or misstatements or whatever. It brings on this desire to, okay, let's go out and let's try to get this president. But if you're going to do that, you've got to get it right. And if you don't get it right, don't whine when you get labeled with peddling fake news. 1226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As long as I'm jumping on this soapbox here, 
You know, what is another example of just the incredible hypocrisy of of the left? Um, that the Hollywood elite, as embodied in the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, okay, yesterday they voted to expel actor Bill Cosby. Okay, Cosby convicted of you know sexual assault. They have now tossed him out, and finally, finally, they have decided to vote to expel Roman Polanski. Okay. Roman Polanski, 15 years ago, was given the award for Best Director for the movie The Pianist. Okay, this is the same Roland Polanski who fled to France while fleeing jail time over a plea deal that saw him plead guilty to sexual intercourse with a 13-year-old in 1978. Now, here's why this is just so outrageous. Polanski rapes and drugs and rapes a 13-year-old in 1978. He flees the country to avoid having to go to jail. And he's been trying to negotiate ways to make sure he doesn't have to serve any jail time so he can come back into this country. So far, that, that has not worked. But all along, the Hollywood elite has been defending Roman Polanski. Oh, don't you understand? This man is this brilliant artist. He did Chinatown. He did Rosemary's Baby. Oh, so he raped and drugged a 13-year-old. What's the big deal and it's been going on for years and years and years so finally yesterday well okay we're going to toss roman polanski out but maybe we're going to toss bill cosby out and that's deservedly so but maybe now maybe after all these years 40 years later maybe we should get around to the roman polanski thing too isn't it interesting how again it's situational ethics Um, Now, after 40 years, well, maybe, you know, it looks bad if we don't do anything with Roman Polanski. This was nothing but window dressing, pure and simple. When we come back, the Milwaukee Teachers Union is implying that they might engage in an illegal work action. Huh. What could go wrong with that? Stick around. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. President Trump is scheduled uh, later on this hour, the early part of next hour, to uh, address the National Rifle Association. I I know he just landed in Texas. Uh, We're going to carry some. I'm not going to commit to carrying all of his address, but we will carry some of it to get a flavor of it. So stick around. We are monitoring that. All right. MPS right now is facing a very, very difficult and challenging budgetary situation. What is going on with NPS in a way, Milwaukee Public School System, in a way, it's it's representative of what happens with any struggling slash failing business. Let's think about Boston Store. What what happens? Let's take the the Boston Store, you know, closings. The, the way this typically happens is for whatever reasons, let's think about a store. You have a store and it start, its sales start to drop for whatever reason. Sales start to drop. So what happens is they're not getting as enough money in, so they lay off people. So then they're not providing the people that do come in the shop. They're not providing as much service to those people. So they get frustrated, and, and maybe some of them don't come back to shop. When it comes to, uh, again, a failing store, all right, you're not making as much money. Maybe you're having trouble then paying your suppliers. So you're slow paying them or you're not paying them all. So the suppliers stop sending you goods. So you don't have as much inventory because suppliers aren't going to front you as much because they're afraid that you're going to go bankrupt. So you get into this kind of death spiral where you're trying to figure out a way to improve sales, but you've got fewer people that are selling. You've got less goods to sell, and it ends 
ends up, you know, you end up circling and eventually you end up going down the drain. MPS is facing an issue like this. The Milwaukee public school system, which is an extremely large school system, like 76,000 students, faces very unique challenges to other school districts in the state. You know, many of the kids that go to MPS come from fractured family backgrounds. I think that would be fair to say. You've got issues of poverty that are there. You've got single-parent households. You've got unemployment, perhaps, that's running, you know, through the, the family. So you've got all these social issues overlaid on the typical problem of trying to teach kids. What's happening with MPS is even though MPS has a relatively high per-pupil spending, you haven't seen the results. And the truth of the matter is I I don't know that it's MPS's fault, um, but MPS to me is a classic example of where over the years why, you know, high per-pupil spending doesn't guarantee educational results. It also is an example to me of just throwing money at the problem doesn't help. But MPS right now is caught in one of these these spirals. What's happening is that um, more and more parents are choosing. You've, you've got declining enrollment. Part of that might just be, you know, the, the population and the way the population is shifting. Fewer kids. That's happening. I look at my alma mater, Nicolet High School, just recently embroiled in an old sex scandal. That's an embarrassment. But, I mean, my graduating class at Nicolet in the 70s, I, I think we had – over 500 kids. Um, now it's probably 250. It, it's just there's not as many kids going to a lot of these schools. And, of course, declining enrollment affects state and local funding. You know, MPS is dealing with issues like inflation. They've got these health care costs, what they call legacy health costs. So you've got expenses going up. You've got the retirement costs that are going up. You've got enrollment going down because of population factors and because some parents are choosing alternative things. Hey, let's take advantage of the school choice program. Let's go to public. Let's go to uh, like parochial schools. Let's go to private schools. And all of this comes together, rising cost, fewer students, and it creates a budgetary mess. So the school board is trying to do what they possibly can to try to figure out how to make ends meet. Well, the teachers don't like it. The teachers have decided, you know, we don't like these cuts, and even though we're due to get 2% raises, you know, that that's not enough. And there's one substitute teacher saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to go on a hunger strike unless I get full benefits for, you know, everybody that uh, teaches for 32 hours a week or more. It's, it's all these different things. So against this backdrop, not enough money, a struggling-slash-failing school – the teachers union puts out a video yesterday and the one of the members of the teachers union the vice president comes out and says this is a national fight for public education and our students the Milwaukee Teachers Education Association calls on every single worker in every single Milwaukee public school to search their conscience and consider how far they are willing to go to guarantee a fair budget for our students and a future for our students and as this plays out the obvious question is, you know, what are you talking about? You know, when you're talking about, you know, doing, you know, what you want to do. And they are very, very clear that um, pretty much everything is is on the table, including walkouts, uh, job actions, perhaps um, strikes. You know, pretty much anything goes. 
All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Of course, it is illegal for public employees to strike. Um, but that is clearly the implication of, of what was coming out yesterday. If the Milwaukee public school teachers should decide that they want to engage in an organized job action and they want to do what Kentucky, what teachers in Kentucky did statewide, what Kentucky, what teachers in Arizona did statewide, here's the question. How should we collectively respond to that? Should we give in to the demands in an effort to say, no, 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 don't, don't go out on strike? Or should we take perhaps a different approach? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would a strike be a good idea? Would it accomplish goals? Or is there a different way to handle workers who decide that they are going to violate the law and go out on strike? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this in just a minute. 1243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. But how would you handle teachers who walk off the job? 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, uh, thinly veiled threats, Milwaukee Teachers Union. And see, interestingly, the, the teachers' union, since Act 10, you've had teachers bailing on at least the statewide unions. Um, I mean, WEAC has lost a ton of members. The teachers' union, the vice president says, hey, if, if we don't get satisfaction out of this current budget, we need to consider, well, taking actions. And the implication is clearly we might walk off the job like they did in Arizona, like they did in Kentucky. It is, of course, not lawful to do that in Wisconsin. If the teachers decide to take a job action, how should we handle it? Dave on the south side. Dave, you're first. Good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff, actually, I think they should change the law so they actually could strike like in other states, because otherwise they have no leverage at all. Well, okay, but for, let's for deal with the reality. I mean, as far that, as bargaining, yeah. But, but, that's, but okay, th- that's not going to happen. Um, they're not legally but, allowed but to do they, it. If they cut their benefits, Jeff, but either the health insurance or the, uh, or the uh, pension, they'll walk out. Well, they're but again, they're they're not. I mean, thanks to call. They're, they're actually they're, they're getting a two percent increase. But but that that aside, um, I mean, there are MPS MPS has to implement either massive tax increases or they have to implement budget cuts. Now, I think there's some legitimate questions about. I have always made this point when you look at how I think fat the central office is with the number of administrators they have, the duplication that I think exists, and and the money that administrators get. So, I mean, I think there are legitimate points that are there. But I guess the question before the, the House is, what happens if the teachers actually choose to stop? Scott in Waukesha. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, if they choose to strike, I think we should talk with them about it. They, they have to have a right to communicate what their needs are. They're just not employees that we can't listen to. Well, well, I, I understand, but you can say that about anybody. They're, you can say that about you know anyone, um, that they're, they're people and you should need to listen to them. So if they decide to go out on strike, you're, what would you do? do? Do nothing? Just listen to them, talk to them? Yeah, I would talk to them. I wouldn't do nothing. I would work without them and try to figure out where we have common ground and see where we can get to. Now, obviously, there's a point where if there's obviously not going to communicate and communication is breaking down, then you have to do something at that point. But we shouldn't demonize our teachers. They're good people. Well, are you demon? Are we demonizing teachers if we say you're not legally allowed to do something, and if you do that against the law, we're going to take action against you? Is that really demonizing teachers? 
Yeah, saying that they can't say what they feel, what they think they deserve, saying they can't have no right to do that. Well, nobody's yeah. saying, well, no, wait a second. Nobody's saying that they can't express themselves and show up at the school board meetings and do interviews on television and radio saying, we think this budget stinks and we think it's anti-kid or it's anti-teacher or whatever. Nobody's saying that they can't take that position. Is that the same as saying you can't take illegal job actions? But you're saying they can't organize to benefit themselves. No, I'm not saying they can't. I think, I'm, no, I'm, thanks, I, I'm not saying they can't organize at all. They're organized. You've got the people who choose to be members of the teachers' union. They're members of the teachers' union. Great. You know, go with God. They, they, they have every right. And they, have you seen these school board meetings? I mean, my goodness, the teachers show up, and they show up en masse. And they, in some cases, they, they heckle the, the school board members. And they, they make their demands known. And they have avenues. They put out press releases. They have press conferences. No, nobody's saying that they don't have a right to argue why they think this present budget and and look and they might be right on some of these things they, they they may very well collectively i'm saying the union might be right on this stuff all right they might have a good point but that's not the question i'm not arguing they don't have a right to make their point i'm not arguing they don't have a right to petition the school board i'm not arguing they don't have a right to threaten to run opponents against the school board and get them out of office the question becomes though if you decide that you are going to engage in what would be illegal work actions at that point in time do they essentially sort of forfeit their right to be heard? And do we come in and say, all right, fine, if, if you're going to do this, well, fine, uh, that's great. Maybe you should, I don't know, find a different line of work. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, let's see, some of our texts. If they strike, fire them. <laughs> that's, that's simple. Um, they should be fired. It wouldn't be tolerated in the private sector. Well, um, I, I don't know. Um, let's see. We need to listen to them and make a genuine gesture of making large administrative cuts. Uh, that, that may be very well be the way to go. I would start, if I was trying to close a budget gap and I was the school board, I would start at the central office level. You've got a lot of these bureaucrats that don't do anything when it comes to educating kids. Um, and I, if they, you want to fire a bunch of them or you want to lay them off, that's fine. Here's the other reason why threatening a job action is so short-sighted. And I want to go back to the way I started this conversation. The whole idea of, think about, again, Boston Store. How does Boston Store go bad? Well, all right, people, people aren't shopping as much. So you lay off you lay off help, so then there's not as much help to handle the people that are there. Those people stop coming back. You're not paying your suppliers, so you don't have as much inventory, and it gets into this death spiral. One of the issues that MPS has is declining enrollment. Part of that declining enrollment, part of it is because, again, of the different choices that are out there. Part of it is just demographics. But you put all that together, and and it's declining enrollment. So, okay, you decide you're going to take a job action. Well, what about some of the parents who have kids at MPS schools? What are they going to do? Well, I think many of them are going to start saying, okay, if this is what's going on at MPS, you know, maybe we need to look at going into the parochial schools or the private schools. Actually, one of the members of the school board, and you know, he, he's quoted in the Journal Sentinel as, as making this point. He says, you know, I, I think that that some of the, these people that are saying stuff, and this is uh, Terry Falk, he's saying, you know, they, they better – they better be real careful when they're coming up with some of this doomsday rhetoric because, you know, if all you're getting is this doomsday rhetoric, um, that 
in and of itself could start to send families fleeing to other you know, districts. He says it's it's like we're a ship and we are taking on some water, but it's not the Titanic. You know, <laughs> that's it. And he says, he says, OK, you go out, you have these press conferences and you say, oh, this is so terrible. It's so terrible. And we're considering job actions. Well, all right. You know, if you're deciding where to send your kid, where where are you going to go? Just saying. It's 1253. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1256. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. OK. Well, if you're looking for now, this isn't the MPS school district, but if you're looking for ways to save money, here's one administrator that that probably, well, should be off the payroll. You've been following Gru, who's producing the show today and always. Have you been following the story of the New Jersey pooper? Uh, You you say no. All right. It's been going on for weeks now. This is it's Homedale High School in New Jersey. And like the track and field athletes. They have been reporting that on a daily basis, by the football field and around the track, on a daily basis for weeks, they have been finding human feces. Somebody has been, well, pardon my French, but taking a dump on a regular basis on the football field and by the track. Right? It's not a bear. It's, it's human. Okay? So, all right. So there, it's been going on and on. And they haven't been able to figure out who's been doing this. So apparently they set up cameras. The cops come in. They set up cameras and all this elaborate stuff, and they have now caught the pooper. Now, I would have guessed this was a kid or I would have guessed I would have bet almost anything. This was a student or that this was maybe some I don't know, homeless guy or something from the area. It turns out, honest to God. It is the superintendent of schools from the district. 42-year-old guy named Tr- Thomas Tramaglini lives about three miles from the school. And on a rate, I mean, they, they caught him on a surveillance thing. He was running on the track and the athletic fields about 5.50 a.m. They caught him on surveillance cameras doing his business. And apparently, you know, this guy, he's he's been the superintendent since August of 2015. He makes one hundred and forty seven thousand dollars a year and he's crapping on the the field and has been doing this. Um, He's now been arrested. My favorite part of the the story is that um, after he was arrested for pooping on the track um he was he has requested and was granted a paid leave of absence from his position a paid leave of absence all right here's some here's some free legal advice again from a recovering attorney all right this is this is only the public sector where you get a paid leave of absence if you get caught doing this if you are ever tempted i don't know to do something like this in your place of employment my guess is you wouldn't get a paid leave of absence from your $147,000 job. So welcome once again to the public sector. The pooper has been caught. It turns out to be the administrator of schools. Huh. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 110, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As Eric was just mentioning, uh, President Trump is scheduled to uh, address the NRA convention 
Uh, the Vice President, Mike Pence, is there as well. Right now, uh, he, that is the Vice President, is making some remarks, and there's somebody who's going to be introducing the President. And we are going to dip into to coverage. I'm not going to commit to carrying the entire thing, but uh, we'll, we'll dip in to see what he has to say. The I, I, I will tell you, this whole thing with Stormy Daniels, and the, okay, it's just, first of all, I really don't care. And, and I, I understand that maybe some of you are upset because I should be outraged about this. I, I, I don't care. I just in in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter to me. Did the president of the United States ten years ago, before he perhaps even thought of being president, do I believe that after a, a golf outing, he and a porno film performer might have had a one night stand and they probably weren't standing? Yes, I believe that. All right, and I, I understand he said no. I, I just I don't believe that denial. Now, again, you can be outraged. Oh, this here's the president lying about this stuff. But, of course, keep in mind, I mean, I am old enough to remember the Bill Clinton era where everybody on the left said, well, even sex when you're president and in the White House lying about it doesn't matter. Is it disappointing? Yeah, but I mean, I, I guess I can understand that. Do I understand the current fervor about this i again i'm struggling with this entire thing i mean i i think the way it has been handled by the president has been bad um rudy giuliani goes on sean hannity two days ago and says well um yes the president knew about this payment that the attorney made of course that's that's the case michael cohen who's the attorney for president trump his explanation never made any sense i mean the story that he paid the the settlement to keep this confidential, he paid it out of his own funds, and then President Trump says he didn't know about that. That's just not the way lawyers work. I mean, if I'm an attorney representing someone, what happens is I I oftentimes will negotiate. You'll negotiate with um, you know the other attorney. You reach a settlement, or with the person who's you know got the claim. You reach a settlement. You tell your client, "Hey, this is what the settlement is." The client says, "Yay or nay." They give you the money, and then you pass the money on. That—that's how the thing works. This idea that the suggestion that President Trump didn't know there was going to be a settlement or the money came from the attorney—that—that that didn't make any sense. I didn't believe any of that. I mean, and for the life of me, I—I don't—I don't understand how this got this out of control. Um, one way or the other, the way this should have been handled months and months and months ago is. First of all, either let her tell her story. I mean, she's already told the thing to everybody who wants to listen. Who cares? Were people not going to vote for Donald Trump because 10 years ago after some golf tournament he slept with this woman? I I just – or didn't sleep with her? I I don't think that would have made any difference anyhow. Is it embarrassing? Well, okay, maybe. But if you look at the Donald Trump appearances over the years on Howard Stern and stuff, he talked about – he bragged about how many different women he slept with. All right. So this wasn't going to affect the election at all. I think the Trump campaign, to the extent they decided that they wanted to give this woman $130,000 so she didn't tell her story publicly. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing illegal about that. I don't know why they paid her a dime in the first place. And then I don't know why they then, um, you know, decide that they don't want to talk about how they, they paid her the money. So they paid her the money. You know, big deal. But now you have all this stuff going around. And, of course, as I've described her before, the the Stormy Daniels, what's her name, Stephanie Clifford, and her attorney are the two greatest promoters since Barnum and Bailey. I mean, they're they're getting their 15 minutes of fame. She's showing up everywhere. 
And again, I think ultimately she's going to end up being an historical footnote. But for the moment, she's selling out strip clubs all over the country. People want to see what she looks like. And none of that would have been happening, weren't it, for this. The president's handled this in a ham-handed fashion. I, I have... And I think Rudy Giuliani, who I've known for, who I've met, and I've, I've met him on several occasions. I met him first in the 80s. I, I mean, I think he was just trying to dig the president out of this by saying, let's move past this. There's no crime that was committed here. Let's just put the facts out on the table. And now the president seems to be backtracking from that. So this whole thing is just, it's, if it's not a mess, and if it's not a self-induced mess, it'll do till a real mess gets here. It's just like, okay, let, let's move on to stuff which is, in fact, important. Um, but in any event, I, I doubt, I do, who knows if President Trump's going to address this in his remarks to the NRA, but we're going to at least dip into that. The, the other story that is just mind-boggling to me, and Eric Bilstadt was referring to this during the news, it is the continuing saga of State Senator Lena Taylor. Now, I've said on this program before, I've known Lena Taylor for a long time, and actually, I think the private Lena Taylor is a lot smarter than the character she plays in public. I And I, I, I do. Um, sometimes I, I see some of her public appearances, and I just kind of shake my head, but I, I think part of it is an act. Part of it, though, is clearly this sense of entitlement and a lack of impulse control that really makes you question whether she's fit for office. And and I don't know how to say that any other way. Um, Now, as we were telling you about the police reports of this incident a couple weeks ago at the Wells Fargo Bank on on downtown Milwaukee have come out. Apparently what happens is she goes in, she's trying to deposit an $825 check that had been given to her by one of her tenants who was, she owns like rental properties, and the the tenant was late. Um, And she's apparently trying to deposit the check and figure out whether or not there's enough money in the person's account to cover it. The teller is saying, I can't give you that information. I can't tell you how much money is in this other person's account. Um, Lena Taylor and the bank teller are black. Apparently, th- this discussion gets heated when Lena Taylor, state senator, refuses to take no for an answer. And at least according to multiple witnesses, as reported in the police report, calls the teller a good house, and then she uses the, the N-word. And apparently this is loud. They're, they're shouting. There's a police officer there. They issue a ticket to her for disorderly conduct. All right. As this as this happens, apparently the officer issues a ticket. Um, at that point in time, the, the captain who oversees the department's criminal investigation bureau goes to the bank. Apparently they this has now gotten so bad it's a state senator that now you've got a Milwaukee Police Department captain that is going down there. Um, Taylor tells the captain that she disagrees with what was written on the citation. She feels the police are not conducting a fair investigation. She then calls them back on Monday twice to complain how dissatisfied she was with the investigation and it was not handled properly. Well, this is the classic example of I'm Lena Taylor, don't you know who I am? Because I guarantee if this was you or me and and we'd gotten into an altercation at a bank and you'd gotten a citation, um, calling up the captain to complain about the unfairness of this would, would not go very far. But again, this is the... This is the sense of entitlement that Senator Taylor apparently has. Um, now, of course, she's hired an attorney. 
Um, the attorney says she's going to plead not guilty. It's a hundred ninety-five dollar citation. It is. It's just incredible to me that this has gotten to this point. Here, here's what happens: Lena Taylor loses her temper. She's got a temper. She loses the temper. Her, she loses her temper, and she acts out in an inappropriate way that creates a disturbance. She should be embarrassed by what she did. But still, that happens. People get mad. They say things in the heat of the moment that they don't mean, although I don't think a lot of people throw that word around. But but regardless, all right, she lost her temper. She has an impulse control issue. She acted out. Fine. It happened. It is mind-blowing to me that instead of simply sending in a $195 check saying, all right, I was having a bad day, I'm sorry that this happened, I, I maybe there were extenuating circumstances or whatever, but I understand I'm a state senator, I, I shouldn't have used this word in direction to this lady, I shouldn't have created disturbance, I should have walked away, I was unhappy with the way I was treated, but I'm sorry, I'm paying the ticket, I'm moving on. That is the way any person with the maturity of a fruit fly would have handled a situation like this. But she hires an attorney, and they are continuing to fight this particular thing. The attorney's still saying, "Well, I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen the, I haven't seen the surveillance video. I haven't seen the body cameras of what happened here." Now the police reports are out. It is mind-boggling to me that instead of Lena Taylor being willing to simply say, I have dug myself a hole, here, I'm going to climb out, declare victory, and move on, they still continue to fight this. I understand, I guess, the attitude is, when you're wrong, be strong. But still, it's a $195 citation. Pay the damn ticket, apologize, and and move on. That is what grown-ups do. 119, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence is still speaking to the NRA. Then there's another speaker, and then there's the president. Um, we are going to dip into coverage whenever that occurs. All right. I said at the start of the show, individually, I love people. I love this job. I love talking to you on a regular basis. But collectively, there are times when I am not thrilled with the human race. Now, let's say... You walked into a donut shop this morning, and you you went up to the counter, and you ordered your two chocolate long johns, and the person behind the counter turned to get your chocolate long johns, and you happened to notice that they had left the cash register open. Well, would, would any decent person reach in, grab the money in the drawer, and run off? And the answer, I think, is no. Now, I understand There are some among us who are criminals and look for targets of opportunity, like the sleazebags that drive around looking for, you know, the the, the vacant car that's running so they can steal it. And I but I I understand I, I continue to basically believe that most of us are good. Most of us are decent people who would try to do the right thing. And then there are stories like this that really make me question my thinking. Um Wednesday morning, Indianapolis there, honest to God, there is a Brinks truck. You know, the people that deliver the money to banks. There is a Brinks truck, which is driving on the freeway outside of Indianapolis, Interstate 70. What happens is the back door 
of the Briggs Arbor truck swings open Wednesday morning during rush hour, blowing multiple bags of cash onto the highway. I am not making this story up. Some bags tumble onto the road and stay intact. Thousands of dollars sorted, organized right there. Others ripped open, showering cash over four lanes of the interstate. The way they describe it is on the shoulder, $20 bills gathered like leaves and form piles in the grass off the highway. All right, so this is out there. There is money pouring all over. The truck drives on. It's it's at least a minute or two before the truck realized what had happened. Well, all right. At that point in time, it is like Lords of Lord of the Flies. What you have is you have you have people who are stopping their cars in the freeways. You have people who are off the freeway who see what has happened, who are jumping the fence to run onto the freeway, frantically stuffing their pockets in cash. The guy from the Indiana State Police says it was something like a movie scene where you have bills, loose bills flying all over the interstate, vehicles stopping, people getting out of their cars and grabbing money. Um it, it, again, this took a couple minutes because state troopers immediately blocked the highway and tried to collect what happened to the money. But um, what they saw is they saw, you know, people were stopping their cars, grabbing handfuls of money as fast as they could. The They estimate that all told about $600,000 came out of the back of this Brinks truck. They don't know how much um, was recovered. But um, they know that there were a lot of these people who were scooping it up as fast as they could and sticking it in their pockets. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, these people who were doing this knew where it came from, right? They, they, they knew what had happened. They knew the money was not theirs, and yet they chose to grab it as fast as they could, figuring they're probably never going to get caught. And the truth of the matter is, they're probably not going to get caught. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Be honest. If you were on that Indianapolis freeway rush hour Wednesday morning, you saw this happen. You know the money doesn't belong to you. You know where the money is coming from. All right. Would you have felt, would you have been participating in the cash grab? 414-799-1620. Or would you have done something else? How would you have handled this? Be honest. 414-799-1620. We're back to talk about it in just a moment. It's 128. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 135. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, I want to apologize to all the people who have been waiting to talk about the Brink story, but uh, the president is just getting ready to address the NRA convention. Um, here, here is President Trump. Not bad. Thank you, thank you, folks. Thank you very much. A great honor to be here, and I want to thank Chris. So many people have done such an incredible job, and these are real. Patriots, they really are, and they don't get the kind of adulation, but really they do, and we know that. I want to thank Wayne LaPierre. I want to thank 
my friend, our great Vice President, Mike Pence, for his terrific remarks. I also want to recognize our great Texas leaders. Do we love Texas? Do we love Texas? Governor Greg Abbott, my friend. Where's Greg? Governor Greg Abbott. And he's running, and I've already done it, but I will tell you, Greg, I fully endorse you. You are endorsed. He has done a great job. I'll tell you, he would, you had your water just pouring down on top of you, just kept coming and coming. He kept calling and calling. We need more money, money, money. And you know what? We gave it to you. Fully endorsed. Attorney General Ken Paxton, tremendous guy. And by the way, Ken, you have my full endorsement, and Angela, your wife, has my full endorsement. She just had a big victory. Senator John Cornyn, been with me right from the beginning. John, thank you. Thank you, John. Full endorsement for this man, Ted Cruz. Where's Ted? Thank you. Well, that was very rousing. That's a good sign. Congressman Pete Sessions and Congressman Mike Burgess, great friends. We're also joined by Pete Ricketts, Dana Lowe, Charlie Kirk, Diamond and Silk. They're so great. Mark Geist, Richard Hudson, Pete Brownell, and Leslie Rutledge. Finally, I want to thank all of you, the true American patriots of the NRA, who defend our rights, our liberty, and our great American flag. Thank you. Thank you very much. The people in this hall have never taken our freedom for granted, never. And you have never stopped fighting for our beloved Constitution. Incredible people. Thank you. You give your time, your energy, your vote, and your voice to stand strong for those sacred rights given to us by God, including the right to self-defense. And now, thanks to your activism and dedication, you have an administration fighting to protect your Second Amendment, and we will protect your Second Amendment.
Your Second Amendment rights are under siege, but they will never, ever be under siege as long as I'm your president. All of us. Thank you. Thank you. All of us here today are united by the same timeless values. We believe that our liberty is a gift from our Creator and that no government can ever take it away. We believe in the rule of law. And we support the men and women of law enforcement. We have pride in our history and respect for our heritage. We put our hands on our hearts for the Pledge of Allegiance. And we all proudly stand for the national anthem. We proudly stand. What people, what great people. And this is your record crowd, you know, all-time record crowd. You do know that, so just remember, nice to set record. We love our country, and we believe our citizens deserve a government that shows them the same love and loyalty in return. For the last 15 months, that is exactly what we have been doing. We are all finally putting America first. And we are seeing the incredible results as a result of our massive tax cuts and everybody is benefiting and everybody is happy. And the Democrats are very concerned. You watch how well we do in 18. You watch. You watch. Get out and vote. Don't be complacent. Don't be complacent. You know, history says that when you win the presidency, you get complacent. We all know the feeling. Do you know the feeling? Not too many. Like 90% of the time, you win the presidency, and for whatever reason, you lose the midterm. We can't let that happen. And the word is complacent. You know, I kept thinking to myself, why is that? I wonder why. Think about it. You win. You have this great win. Now you take a breath. You relax. All of a sudden, two years is up. They're fighting like hell, and you're complacent. We cannot get complacent. We have to win the midterms. Because since the election, We've created 3.2 million jobs, unthought of. If we would have said that three years ago during the campaign, people would have said, what a horrible exaggeration. That's so terrible. They wouldn't have believed it. 3.2 million. The unemployment rate, you saw that just today, 
just fell beneath 4% for the first time since the beginning of this century. You know, I heard it was about 19 years. I said, wait a minute. The beginning of the century sounds better. So I say, the beginning of the century. More beautiful. African-American unemployment has reached another all-time in history record low in history. And by the way, Kanye West must have some power because you probably saw I doubled my African-American poll numbers. We went from 11 to 22 in one week. Thank you, Kanye. Thank you. When I saw the number, I said, there must be a mistake. How can that happen? Even the pollsters thought there must be a mistake. Now we've come a long way. You remember I'd come into big rooms, big audiences, and I'd say, what do you have to lose? Because the Democrats have always had that vote. i say, what do you have to lose? Horrible on crime, horrible on education, horrible on everything. I'd say, what do you have to lose? And they voted for me, and we won, but now the numbers are much higher than they ever were with African-American. And we're happy. And the same thing with Hispanic American unemployment, which is also at the lowest level in history. Unemployment, lowest level in history. And women's unemployment, women, many women, is at the lowest level in almost 20 years. Think of that. So we have the best employment numbers we've virtually ever had. And yet, all we hear about is this phony Russia witch hunt. That's all we hear about. So, just when I'm walking on the stage, a highly respected judge in Virginia made statements. It says, Wall Street Journal, it says, judge questions Mueller's authority to prosecute Manafort. Now, Paul Manafort's a nice guy, but you know, he worked for me for a very short period of time, literally for, like, what, a couple of months? Little period of time. Then what happens? He worked for Ronald Reagan. He worked for Bob Dole. They worked, I think, as a firm for John McCain. They worked for others. Does anybody say that? No. But he's out there fighting. On fake news CNN, I think NBC may be more distorted and worse, but... No, but on CNN, they have a headline. Judge in Manafort case says Mueller's aim is to hurt Trump. You believe that? This is what we're up. It's called the witch hunt. So I just said, give me that article. I want to read it. Just happened a few minutes before I walked on stage. 
A federal judge Friday questioned special counsel Robert Mueller's authority to bring tax and bank fraud charges unrelated. Unrelated. Nobody knows that. Everyone thinks, oh, unrelated to the 2016 election against former Trump campaign manager, Chairman Paul Manafort, who's there for a short while. But he's a good person. He is. I really believe he's a good person. Judge T.S. Ellis, who is really something very special I hear from many standpoints, he's a respected person, suggested the charges before the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia were just part of the Mueller team's designs to pressure Mr. Manafort into giving up information on President Donald Trump or others in the campaign. I've been saying that for a long time. It's a witch hunt. Then, none of that information has to do with information related to the Russian government coordination and the campaign of Donald Trump. It doesn't have anything to do. It's from years before. Then, how does this have anything to do with the campaign, the judge asks. Let me tell you, folks, we're all fighting battles. But I love fighting these battles. It's really a disgrace. It's 150. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. That is President Trump addressing the NRA convention. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back, continue to dip into the president. And also, I will explain what he is just referring to that did happen a little while ago. Uh, stick around. 150. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 2.09. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Coming up a little bit after 2.30, we bring back Pop Culture Corner. Um, it's going to be a fun topic for today. Didn't get a chance to do it last week because we had an early baseball game. I, um, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about this, this problem that faces law enforcement around the, the area. And that has to do with the ability to and the decisions that are being made to pursue people who run from them. We have discussed this before. Um, one of the worst decisions made by Milwaukee, and when you talk about bad decisions made by Tom Barrett, well, I mean, obviously Tom's trolley folly is right up there. That, that's, that, that, that's, the, that's the big bad one. But there were a lot of other bad ones as well. And one of those really bad ones was the decision that he and Ed Flynn, the former Milwaukee police chief, came up with back in 2010 or 2011, where they said Milwaukee police, under most circumstances, were not authorized to chase people who ran from them. Very, very limited circumstances. Essentially, you had to know that the person who was running from you had committed a a certain category of felony. All right. Well, most times, as I've explained before, people, the cops don't know why somebody runs from them. I mean, all you know is the car, you see the car go through the red light. You put on the bubble lights to pull it over. The car takes off and and runs from you. You see the car make the illegal turn. You put on the lights. You chase them, and then they don't pull over. They run. You don't know why they're running. You don't know if they're drunk. You don't know if there's a body in the trunk. You don't know if there's a drug deal going on. You just don't know. So the result was very, very few chases. As a result, the word got out that you, you can just, if, if you're a bad guy that's out there, just drive by the cops with impunity, and they're not going to do anything. Blow through red lights. Go 95 miles an hour. No problem. What happened is, too, you had more and more drug dealers who caught on. Why deal drugs out of a stationary drug house that can be raided? Instead, 
here, just just put all the dope in the cars and drive around, use your cell phones to set up the deals, and um, if the police try to pull you over, just take off, run from them, and they're not going to be able to chase you. It was an absolute debacle. The word got out, and then what ended up happening is a lot of the, the Milwaukee criminals, as they, they spread like a stain to the suburbs, well, I mean, they didn't realize that some of the suburbs had different policies, and some of the suburbs would chase. So you had all these criminals from Milwaukee who were going out to the suburbs. They would run. Then they'd be surprised that you'd have these chases that ensue. It, it was a, it was an awful policy, and ultimately, under pressure from aldermen and under pressure from the Fire and Police Commission, former Police Chief Ed Flynn relented. I'm sure he hated to do it, but you know he relented, and so now. Milwaukee police have joined the 21st century and are, are, are more aggressive in being able to chase. Nobody, including myself, has ever argued that, you know, you, you need to be irresponsible with that. And, and obviously you can't have a chase, you know, down, you know, uh, through Whitefish Bay at 95 miles an hour, you know, at, during rush hour traffic because somebody's going to get hurt. You, you, there are times that you just have to make the decision to let people go. But as a general rule, I don't want the criminals to be able to drive off. I want the police to do everything they reasonably can to try to apprehend people. And I understand that one of the consequences of that is that from time to time, all right, somebody innocently is going to get hurt because you're going to have the idiot driving 110 miles an hour trying to get away from the police in the stolen car who's going to blow through the red light and is going to hit the person. And oftentimes what happens is the the innocent victim is the one that gets the worst of of the whole deal. I was thinking about this the other night. This story is from a couple days ago. Four people injured a week ago when a vehicle being pursued by police ran a stop sign and collided with another car. Chevrolet Impala, and those are ones that get stolen a lot, was speeding and being chased by police eastbound on West Orchard Street when it ran a stop sign at South 12th and collided with a Honda Accord that was northbound on 12th Street. The driver of the Accord, a 43-year-old man, was seriously injured, taken to the hospital. He was the only person in the Accord. Three people in the Impala, a 30-year-old man, a 26-year-old man, and a 23-year-old woman were also injured. They were taken to be uh, hospital to be treated. Police said the driver of the Impala would be arrested, um, etc. Police vehicle pursuits have surged in surged in the last three months of 2017 after the bad no-chase policy was done away with. There were 369 police vehicle pursuits in 2017, the highest since 2002, and a 21% increase from the year before. More than half of the pursuits came in October, November, and December. Police pursuits this year are in pace to uh, surpass what happened last year. So the cops are chasing. And one of the unfortunate effects is a lot of times or at least oftentimes these these pursuits end when the bad guy smashes up his or her car and sometimes innocent people end up getting hurt 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line this is always 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 a very difficult decision but i have to tell you I am glad the Milwaukee Police Department moved away from its old policy. And my heart goes out 
for example, to this guy who was driving the Accord who got smashed into by the three losers who were fleeing police. Right? That That's unfortunate. But I don't think that is a justification for the cops simply allowing people to drive off. You cannot do that because we have seen what's happened over the last six years. If you let people run and don't try to catch them, well, all they're going to do is commit other crimes, leaving more victims. And by the way, if they're driving away at a high rate of speed, many times they end up smashing into other cars anyhow. 414-799-1620. And as far as people who say, well, all right, let them go and catch them later. Well, a good portion of the cars that they end up chasing are stolen cars that are going to be ditched at some point in time in the future. And the bad guy is going to be out stealing other cars as well. I think you have to make apprehensions. And to me, the way you handle this is when people run from the police and you catch them, you prosecute them. Are you listening, Mr. Chisholm? And you send them to prison for a long period of time. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, do we need to, given the fact that the cops are now chasing more than ever, should we revisit this decision? Maybe are we letting them chase? Should we be restricting it more? My answer would be no. What do you think? 414-799-1620, we discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 217. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Milwaukee police pursuits are up dramatically since they changed their policy and now say just because you run from them doesn't mean they have to let you go. Chad in Waukesha. Hi, Chad. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me on. Sure. How are you doing today? I'm good. What do you think? I think uh, the safety of the public is the absolute priority of the matter. Um, I think if, if we're for discussing stolen vehicles, People with vehicles, their vehicles are stolen. They can be made whole again through insurance. The value of human life, it, life is, is paramount, uh, in my opinion. So your, your response would be just anybody who runs from the cops, you let them go? If, yes, absolutely. If there's, if there's any sort of danger to any sort of innocent lives, yep, I believe Well, well I, mean, I guess, I, but I, I would imagine that there, there's always, inherent in a high-speed chase, there's always going to be some some potential danger you know i mean somebody could be in the in the intersection in the red light so you you would you would just not chase you would let them go yeah you would you'd have to mitigate that risk and not allow that chase to go forward what if Absolutely. uh what if you believe the person that you're going to chase driving a stolen car has just been involved in a in a bank robbery would you still let them go yes absolutely i mean there's the bank gets made whole again through, the, through their insurance policies, no, there's no reason to risk the human lives of children or innocent bystanders. What if it's a, what if it's uh, somebody that you believe is responsible for a murder? You don't endanger any more lives than that. So you let the murderer you know? get away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what would if you hurt an innocent bystander trying to chase after somebody that just murdered somebody? Huh? Do you think that justifies? Yes. Yeah. Well, justifies? what about okay? So the person. Let, let's say let's say it's a let's say it's a rapist. Let me the, the, okay. There's there's a known rapist that's fleeing and fleeing from the police. You let him go, and so then the next night he goes out and rapes somebody else. Feel guilty about that? No, no, not no. at all. Okay, no. all right. If it's, if it's my if it's my daughter walking in the intersection, or one of my family members, 
there's no reason to ever put innocent lives at risk. Well, uh, thanks for I see, and I, I just think I, I see. I disagree completely by allowing dangerous people to just drive away. You are inherently putting innocent lives at risk. Because, all right, let's, you've got, and say again, most of the times, like I said earlier, the reason cops flee, the reason people, you don't, police don't know why somebody's running. They, they, they don't know if there's a body in the trunk, if it's a kidnap situation, um, if it's a drug deal or, or whatever. All they know is that somebody ha- has run. Um, yes, by chasing, I guess you theoretically put innocent lives at risk, but that's the balancing that you have to have. You have people committing crimes, and I think you have to be able to catch them. I want the police to be able to pursue. Now, obviously, there is a point where the, the risk reward is outweighed. You don't, you don't go 90 miles an hour down Wisconsin Avenue at 3.30, but at the same time, I just think that the, the idea, and yes, and I understand from time to time what's going to happen is the person who's running is going to hit and, and maybe hurt somebody else, to which then you hold them accountable for that. But it's not the cops that are responsible. It is the criminal that is responsible. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And we saw what happened over six years by not chasing what ended up happening is the police, is the criminals, they were emboldened, and they would just drive past the cops. It, it led to, I think, an increase in carjackings, an increase in stolen cars. Yeah, sometimes there is a risk. I want those people off the street. Ross in Cedarburg. Ross, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, the thing, the question I have is I'm from a police family. My dad and my uncle were cops. I have some friends that are cops. I'm a truck driver. I see a lot of these on the road. The question that I have is, when they pull somebody over that think has uh, ran a red light or they see them run a red light or whatever, when they pull them over, why don't we call for another officer for assistance, okay? And then instead of that officer pulling behind the first one, why don't they pull in front of the car and box it in so a chase can't even get started? Well, I mean, let, let me let, let me answer that a couple ways. I mean, I, I think sometimes they do ask for backup. It depends on, on on what's going on. As a matter of routine, you pull somebody over for speeding, you're not always going to call for for backup because those cars are are doing, you know, other other things. And the, the other problem is, you know, many, I, I, not always. Occasionally, you're right. The car will stop for a moment and then it'll take off. But but that's not the way most chases are. Most chases are the car, the bad guy car is moving. The police are following it. They put on the bubble lights to try to pull over the car and then the car takes off. I mean, so in in most situations, not all, but in most situations, the thing isn't stopped in in the first place. It's it's running. And, and, yeah, I think you have to chase. I think you have to pursue, and I think you have to catch the bad guys. And, again, you want to do it in a responsible fashion. You want to try to, you know, put up roadblocks and things like that. But you, at least in my opinion, cannot just allow criminals to drive away. That rewards their ignoring the law and refusing to stop, and it leads to more crimes. It emboldens drug traffickers. It emboldens the car thieves. It emboldens the drunken drivers. you got somebody who's dead drunk who blows through a stop sign or a stoplight at 95 miles an hour. All right, 
Um, do you think he's going to suddenly start driving well just because there's not a cop that's on the scene? No, I'm sorry. I say go after him and pull him over, and you want to do it responsibly, but there is going to be a collateral effect. There's no question about it. There is going to be the guy in the Accord that gets hit by the car, but there's nothing to guarantee that that guy or somebody else wouldn't have gotten hit by the jerks that were driving the car in the first place who were trying to run, whether they were being chased or not. It's 228. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 2.37, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's that time of the week we put away the heavy lifting and we stop talking about Stormy Daniels. God, can we please stop talking about Stormy Daniels and whether we're going to settle matters with North Korea. Good news on that front and the economy and crime and all those things. And we kind of have a little bit of fun. I call the segment Pop Culture Corner. You can you can watch You can watch it live, as a matter of fact. We are broadcasting on our... Our studio cam, if you go to their website, WTMJ.com slash studio cam, one word, you can see this. I'm wearing my Jimmy Buffett uh, polo shirt today. You can check that all out, see what it looks like. So it's WTMJ.com slash studio cam for our pop culture corner segment today. All right. Um, as, as I mentioned, last it was last Friday night. I went with my brother and sister-in-law and my nephew to see the the new Avengers movie, um, Infinity War, which, grew. you saw on Monday. You liked it. I liked it. I, I give it two thumbs up. I and, and it's doing huge business. It'll probably be the largest grossing movie of all time, uh, I think, before all is said and done. I thought it was really, really good. Interestingly, after I said that on the radio, I heard from a number of you who saw the movie who were – who were disappointed by by the film. And you know, for a variety of reasons, some people thought it were too long, some people didn't like the story, whatever. But they were disappointed to, about it, about seeing it after the big buildup. And that was not my case. But I will tell you, there's, there's a lot of movies over the years that I have seen that, candidly, I was looking forward to. I go and watch them, and I, I just... I didn't get it. it. It wasn't. It wasn't what I thought. I walked away thinking, "Really? I mean that? That's what I just spent all that money on, or that's what I just you know waited to see." I, I was. I was disappointed. And a lot of times when we talk about stuff on Pop Culture Corner, we talk about the great things, the great concert you saw, the great movie you saw, the great book you read. You know that that place you went to have the outstanding fish fry, and that's all well and good. But I thought this week we might switch it up a little and talk about the the flip side of that. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your biggest disappointment in going to the movies, I mean, is there, it is that, and I'm sure this has happened inevitably, that, that, that the show that you wanted to see, the movie that you couldn't wait to have come out, you're there, you're in line to see the movie, or you're looking forward to it, you go in there and you go, Oh my goodness gracious. It's just, it doesn't, doesn't live up to its hype. A movie that disappoints. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Um, again, we're, we're broadcasting on our WTMJ.com slash studio cam. Um, for this segment, if you're new to the program, I always encourage people to call early because our phone lines tend to jam up. And again, my advice is also go with your first instinct. Sometimes people try to overthink things. But the movie that was just just disappointing, you thought it was going to be better. You got in there and you said, is this all there is? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're first. Hello. 
Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Mine is three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. I have not seen that yet, but I've heard all the hype. Um, I, I love the woman who you know was in Fargo, who stars in that. It, it's going to be. I'm going to be disappointed, huh? Yeah, I thought it was just too mean spirited. It was not funny. It dragged, and some of the writing didn't really make sense. Huh? Okay. So I should I should tamp down my expectations, even though um, it won Oscars, huh? I would not pay any money to watch that. Okay, wait till it comes out. <laughs> wait till it comes out on HBO or something, huh? Yes, sir. Interesting. Thanks. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I was real. The, te- the segment is. I was really disappointed by that. Tom in Mequon. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Eyes wide shut. Stanley Kubrick. Oh, right. And that's with uh, Tom, Cruise Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, and Nicole. right? And my wife and I, I don't think we made it 20 minutes in and had to leave. Oh, really? You walked out. Oh, it was horrible. I I don't think I could ever make myself watch that entire movie based on the first 20 minutes. Really? You know, and so that that, that is so disappointing because I, I, I was a huge fan of Stanley Kubrick's work, you know, whether it's... Um, you know, 2001, A Space Odyssey. I mean, he, he did so much really good, you know, interesting stuff. But he forces you to watch his movies. He makes them a certain way. And this one, it was just ungodly boring. I don't know how to even begin to describe it. Well, and of course, it, it's got a lot of sex scenes and stuff in it. Even those were boring, huh? <laughs> Fair enough. Thanks for calling. You know, I mean, eyes wide shut, very controversial. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The movie that disappoints. A lot of people, or at least some people I know, were very disappointed with the Avengers. That's where this top, the new Avengers movie, that's where this topic comes from. Is there some film that you looked forward to, you couldn't wait for it, then you went in and saw, I just don't get it. 414-799-1620. We're back with more calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 242. This is Jeff Wagner. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ's Pop Culture Corner. We're talking about movies that disappoint. Some people were disappointed in The Avengers. I wasn't, but I, there are certainly movies that you've looked forward to, and you go see them and say, I want my money back. Dan in Menominee Falls. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. The movie that uh, disappoints. Yeah. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, that was a bad movie. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm a huge Harrison Ford fan. I love the Indiana Jones things. Karen Allen, I have had a crush on her since um, since Animal House. Um, Kate Blanchett, I, I was looking forward to that, and you're right. It was awful. <laughs> I went, I was going, me and a friend of mine went, and we took off of work. We went <laughs> first thing on opening day early in the morning, and... We walked out of there and just shaking our heads that they should have never made that movie. Yeah, yeah. Anything with Shia LaBeouf, you know, has the the, the ability to to think it's going to stink. But yeah, no, th- I'm with you. I mean, I again, I, I I've I've had a crush on Karen Allen. She was the she was in the first Indiana Jones movie. She was actually the the love interest in Animal House. I've had a crush on her forever. Um, and and if Harrison Ford and the Indiana Jones character and Karen Allen, if they can't save the movie, it tells you it is beyond being saved. Let's talk to John in Burlington. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Good. Okay, the movie um, that disappointed you. 
The one was, uh, and I was, I'm a big Star Trek fan. When Star Trek, the motion picture came out. The first one. The first one. I'll tell you, but they did learn, uh, they did learn on the other ones that it was the characterization that made it, not the special effects, because the first one was really, I mean, that was like, when is this going to end? It was, it was long. It was boring. You, you know, you could tell they spent a ton of money. Yeah. I thought, I actually thought that first movie, the one that you're talking about, was so bad that it might have even killed the franchise. But I, I give them credit. They came back with uh, Wrath of Khan, which, you know, was, was just a great movie. It was everything that that first movie wasn't. And, you exactly. Know, yeah. they, I said it didn't take them. They didn't have to walk in a wall twice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call. No, I, I, I appreciate it. No, that, that was, yeah, that's one that's definitely missable. And, you know, and, and I'm getting a lot of response, of course, on our text line and a lot of sequels. And, and that's... That's true. I mean, uh, you know, sequels are really, really, you know, really, really a dangerous sort of thing, you know, because, um, again, a lot of them just they, they just don't live up to it. Independence Day 2. Yeah, I mean, Independence Day 1 was good, but Independence Day 2 was was just just absolutely awful. Let's see. Here's one. Babe was awesome. Awesome. Babe Pig in the City was a nightmare. Let's talk to Mark in Whitewater. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Um, I, Tanya. I haven't seen that one yet. Totally insufferable. <laughs> Despite the fact Allison Janney won an Oscar for portraying her mother. Right. Uh, the film, I hate to say it, the film is The Deplorables. <laughs> It just gets worse by the minute. I actually think I was cringing, oh. uh, looking at my wristwatch, praying oh. for the end of the film. Yeah. I, I expected more to see more of Nancy uh, Nancy Kerrigan in the backstory, but it's all about uh, uh, Tanya. Right. Tanya, and it's just it goes. It's just horrible. And the other thing is. Every second or third word is the F word. Oh yeah, so it gets over, yeah. Pat. Right, oh. it gets old. Yeah, no, I, I get. I mean, I get it. Thanks. And see, I, I um, I, yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. The Tanya Harding is not a good human being. Oh, I'm, I, maybe there's some fans that are out there. I know she's on Dancing with the Stars or whatever. She's just not a good human being. She, she's just not. And the, the, these efforts to kind of try to portray her as a victim and things like that. Excuse me, I, I just I have. I have trouble with that. I don't wish her ill, but at, at the same time, th- this, this is going to kind of reclaim her. And it is funny because I like Allison Janney. She was the uh, press secretary on uh, on the on um, the West Wing. You know, that's probably what she's most famous for. But she's done some great performances as well. Let's talk to Bob in South Milwaukee. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. This movie was so bad that I refused to even remember the name of the movie. Remember, <laughs> we went through three great Star Wars movies. The first movie that came out years later uh, that had that real bad character the, in it and everything. George, you're you're, you're thinking the, of Star Wars The Phantom Menace with George yeah, R. Binks. Yeah, well, that's probably it. <laughs> <laughs> no, now, tell me that wasn't the worst of the worst. Um, that, I mean, it's right. Thanks for the call. That was, you're, you're right. As far as, as far as disappointing movies, I think you can make a really, really, really strong case that that was, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody waits for years and years and years to see what they're going to do with Star Wars after the first three movies. They come out with the prequel. It's the Phantom Menace, and you introduce that Jar Jar Binks character. Yeah, that was, it just on, on all sorts of levels. I think all three of those movies were not good. But, yeah, the, the Phantom Menace is going to go down as a huge dud. Let me give you a, a musical. I, I, um, uh, I, I, I like Les Mis. 
Okay, let Les Mis. I, I think you see it performed in the theater. You know, it, it it's it's good. I, I like it a lot. It's a little bit long and stuff. The musical version of, of Les Mis that they came out a couple of years ago, which requires people to sing. You've got Anne Hathaway, who really can't sing. You've got Russell Crowe, who just flat can't sing. It's sort of like, now, it's sort of like movies that are so bad they're almost good. Last night, true story, last night I went to my um, step-granddaughter's concert, and then we went out for pizza afterwards and stuff like that. So later on in the evening, I'm watching the movie Paint Your Wagon, which is a musical. Somebody thought it was a good idea to put Clint Eastwood and Lee Marvin, two actors that I like a lot, in a musical. It's, I mean, it, but it, but it's so stunningly bad. I'm not saying it's disappointing. It is just so stunningly bad. It, it's almost good. But Les Mis, I mean, that movie, oh, they're coming out with Les Mis. It's going to be great. But they cast all these people who cannot sing. Huh. Let's talk to Vicki in West Bend. Vicki, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Vicki. Hi. Um, to me, Jaws 1 was the best movie of them all, mm-hmm. and the rest, just really weren't good at all <laughs> like jaws 2 and jaws 3 vampire shark or whatever yeah the the um you're right the sequels to jaws uh very very disappointing no thank no nothing else to say beyond that um mary in milwaukee now this is another movie i haven't seen she says uh the post which of course um you know focuses on the the washington post decision to published some of the Pentagon Papers. It's got, what, Meryl Streep in it, and I haven't seen it yet. It's got Meryl Streep and uh, Tom Hanks. Um, Mary says it, they took a really interesting topic, and they made the movie exceedingly boring. All right here's another one of our texters, Black Panther. Haven't seen that one yet. That's getting all sorts of raves, and uh, people love the character, but um, you got to check that one out. Dustin in New Berlin. Dustin, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, a classic movie that I loved was uh, uh, Dumb and Dumber, and I know that they had a prequel, which I refused to see, And I, but I did go and see the sequel, which also had Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. That was and, Dumb and Dumber 2, right? Yeah, yeah, and just very contrived, and seeing them you know, decades older than the original just didn't have that, that dumb charm, that witty humor that right. that first one did. Um, so that was a real disappointing uh view for me yeah and no, i think and that's and that's that's it you look forward to these movies you think oh this is going to be great and then eh. cindy and greenfield hi cindy hi i had to come home because when i heard the topic <laughs> a movie came right to my head a and i oh with um i was expecting it had such potential and it went south so fast and that was the first movie I've ever gone to that when I walked out, I was seriously thinking of asking for my money back. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things. I, I know it. Sometimes you watch these things and you think, how did this movie get made? At some point in time, didn't somebody say, you know, this, is, this isn't working, and maybe we should just recognize that it's it's not good and stop throwing good money after bad. Oh, thanks for the call, Cindy, and thanks for participating. I appreciate it. Wish I had a little more time. Uh, let's see, Phantom Menace, a lot of people want to say that. The Last Airbender, um, Black Tower. Yeah, that was a Stephen King uh, book or series of books. The movie with uh, Matthew McConaughey was not good. Well, hope your movie-going experience is better than that. Thanks for participating. We've been showing this on WTMJ.com com slash our live stream um so that's up there as well 255 when we come back we'll find out what john mccure has on his mind please stick around